Well, this morning, of course, as uh, Denny said, I mean, we're, we've got cold weather and I, we kind of knew some wouldn't make it. I had several tell me, hey, I'm sorry, I won't be able to make it. So we do pray that everyone is staying safe and that uh, you are in some way maybe having fun with the cold. I don't know how you have fun with cold, but maybe you can think of a way. This morning, we will continue on with part two of what we started last week. We began a new series that I'm just going to call What We Believe About, and then the sermons will cover a different topic or a subject about something we believe as Christians. We're going to explore what I'd call kind of the core foundations of Christianity, the doctrines of our faith. These are the things that if you begin to remove them, you you sort of don't have Christianity anymore. There's a system that we have as Christians. We come to faith in Christ and are forgiven of our sins, but then it, the question sort of, but now what? Well, there's a, a system, I'll use that word, but there's kind of a system, there's a, a body of knowledge and beliefs there that we're taught through the Bible, and those are the things that we want to cover is what are those core beliefs? Now, if you go through these, my goal for us is I hope that you personally can be better equipped to explain your faith maybe to someone. Maybe there's things that you've even been confused about. Well, I hope we can clear that up. Maybe there'll be something you've heard in a new way or maybe something new to you. Then I hope you can be strengthened by that. The other goal I have for this is maybe you have a friend, family, coworker that has questions. Maybe they're not a Christian and they sometimes come to you with a question and you're not sure how to answer that. I hope through this maybe you'll be strengthened and have confidence that you can help them understand something about Christianity. Well, we're going to start with the Bibles, what we did last week. Part one was to ask this question, what is the Bible? And today, we're going to still talk about the Bible, but ask a different question about it. What does the Bible do, though? So what, what was it, and now today, what does the Bible do? Let me quickly just say this, so we're kind of brought up to speed about what is the Bible. The Bible is God's way of revealing himself to us. It's God making himself known to people. If God didn't reveal himself to people, we would honestly know very, very little about him. All you could know is what you could perceive through the cosmos and the space and nature, but you wouldn't know a lot of the details, like what's he like and what, what does he want from us and how can we find salvation? We wouldn't know what sin is. So there's a lot of things that we must have the Bible for to know and understand. But the Bible at the end of the day is God's word to us. It was given through that process we talked about called inspiration. The translation I read out of in 2 Timothy called it God breathed. So God breathed out the words of the Bible, but he chose a human writer, a human author to convey it. But the Holy Spirit was supervising and working through this whole process from God to the human writer there. The Holy Spirit was presiding over that and working through the human writer so that the result, the end product is that yes, it was written by human authors, but they were inspired, they were driven, they were moved by the Holy Spirit to convey exactly what God wanted them to. So it is God's word to us. I didn't say this last week, but this is just a side note that in studying this, I want to point out to you. I should have said it last week. Over the years of talking about uh, this topic of the Bible. I've talked about it for years in, in churches and in, uh, to students as a youth pastor. The question invariably comes up something like this. But why did God do that, though? Like, why did he choose a human author? Why didn't he just tell us directly? 
And that's a very good question, but I, let me say this for why God used this process of a human author and him conveying it through the Holy Spirit. The simple reason for that is we are human beings who think like humans and speak like humans, use human language to understand and communicate. What God did was sort of, I'll use the word, condescend. He sort of lowered himself to our level of understanding, and that's how he communicated with us. There's a sense in which if God had tried to just directly speak to us uh, through heaven, the clouds, whatever you want to call it, too much of that, my opinion is, would be too much for us. We can't understand and comprehend that. Because you have a divine being, and we're sinful and he's holy, there's this gap between us and God. So to bridge the gap, how God got his word to us is he used other human beings to talk to fellow human beings, but he used the Holy Spirit in that process. So just think of it like this, you know, why did God do that? Because quite bluntly put, that's probably the best and only way he could have effectively communicated to us. Any other way we wouldn't have understood. Well, moving on then, let me pick up here with this Baptist faith and message Last week, I I didn't put it in there this week. I apologize. It'll be on your screen, though. But last week, I gave you a printout of something called the Baptist Faith and Message, Article 1. And we're going to look at that as we go through these series, because our convention that our church is a part of has a doctrinal statement, and they start with the scriptures. And I want to read that to you and just let you see that's kind of where I'm building some of this off of. Here's how it reads. It says, The Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world. The true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct creeds and religious opinions should be tried. All scripture is a testimony to Christ, who is himself the focus of divine inspiration, or excuse me, divine revelation. Let me have a moment of prayer, and we'll get started with our message today. Lord God, we are thankful that we have your word written down, preserved for us for centuries before us, so that here today we can talk about it, we can study it, and we can learn from it, so we can know your thoughts, your mind, of how you would have us to live, and how we can know to love you more and and to actually see and read how much you love us. So thank you for the Bible. And I pray that now in this moment you will help me communicate in a clear manner the things that I believe you've laid on my heart and mind to share about your Bible some more. Holy Spirit, please just do only the things you can do to help us understand and speak the truth to our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, today, again, asking this question now. What does the Bible do, though? We know what it is. God's revelation of himself to people shares with us his truth. He wants us to know. But what does it do? Well, the Bible is not just a book of information. It actually does things. It, it takes action, sort of. It's God's written word to us, but God does several things, though, through that written word. Well, the first thing the Bible does is it judges us. So let's start here. The Bible judges us. The Baptist faith and message says this quote, it reveals it, meaning the Bible, it reveals the principles by which God judges us. 
and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 to start with. And it reads this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Notice a few things here. The word of God, let's focus on that phrase. Well, we'll call that the Bible. But the word of God or the Bible here, it does something. Hebrews says that it is living and active. Now that is incredibly interesting because the word of God is a book. It's a piece of literature at the end of the day. We don't typically refer to books and literature that they are living and active. They're, they're just simply words on page. Now, in context here, to be fair, when Hebrews was written, this idea of word of God, he's actually specifically talking about when God was speaking to Israel back way back in the Old Testament. So God would give out his word through Moses or a prophet. But nonetheless, the point I'm making is still valid. They would write that down and preserve it. But Hebrews is saying that is the word of God to us. Well, he says, though, here that this message from God Whenever God speaks or it's copied and written down, it's living and it's active. But again, this is kind of odd because we don't typically think of even speech as being a living thing. Speech is just words you give or literature is just words on a page. What does he mean here? Well, it's interesting because the word living is the Greek word for biological, physical life, meaning something is literally living versus dead. Well, that's how he refers to the Bible, God's word. It's as if it has real life to it. It's functioning. It's living. The next word, active, is interesting. It's the Greek word where we get our English word energy from. So the Bible has life to it, and it has an ability to carry out action, to exert energy, to exert a force here. It means that it can cause something to happen. The word of God has capabilities. It can exert energy and a force of action. Now Hebrews then says that God's word is not like human speech at all. It's as if when God speaks, gives out his word, it, those words themselves come to life. They can do stuff. They have capabilities to exert energy and bring about an effect on something or rather people on someone. This is the power of God's word. Now remember, the Bible is God's word to us, God's word recorded down and preserved. Now that means what Hebrews is saying, it's not a dead book though. It's not just a piece of literature written thousands of years ago and we get to study and analyze it and that's, that's the end of the story. No, Hebrews is saying very literally here, it is living. It's not dead, it's living and it's not stagnant. It does things and can accomplish things. It's living and active. Well, then he says the Bible or God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword. A two-edged sword is literally what it says. There's swords that are only sharp on one side and they're blunt on the other. But he says, no, the Bible is that the double-sided sword. It, it, it cuts both ways, not just one way. So it's super effective, he's saying. Well, how sharp is this sword of the word of God, though? He says it pierces something. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit. The word soul is... Again, where we get our English word uh, psyche, the psychological part of you. It's sort of the inner self of a human being, your emotions, your inner thoughts. This is 
what separates humans from plant life. See, plant lights have biological life to them. They have cells. But plants are, are not um, emotional creatures. They don't have a soul. They're just a plant. They have biological life, but again, they don't have this sort of inner conscious awareness. I mean, as far as we know, plants don't have thoughts and things like that. But then he says there's this other idea called the spirit. Now, the spirit is a little difficult to separate from the soul. They're almost synonyms for the same thing. But it is a little different, though. The word spirit is where we see the word Holy Spirit come from. The word spirit is this idea of your inner part of you that is moraled and, and has spiritual relation with God. This is what I would say is what separates humans from animals. Plants have biological life, but they don't have an emotional, psychological state to them. Animals like a dog or a cat, if you've ever had them, you'll know they have physical life like the plant, but they also have a sense in which they um, carry out action. And you may have heard the phrase, you know, my, my pet has its own personality. There's a sense in which that's true. Animals can carry out actions and they don't necessarily have logical thoughts like people, but they can be trained. They, they can know uh, this was the good thing I did or the bad thing I did. But here, though, Hebrews is saying humans, though, have another level that animals don't have. We have a spiritual part of us. We can relate to God. We can know God. We know sin. We know right from wrong, good from evil. Well, he says the Bible is able to be like a sword that can cut so deeply. It can cut to the part where it sort of is the division of your soul, your psyche, and your spirit. Now, I think what he's really saying is something like this. You can't really fathom what he's talking about it's sort of difficult to even explain what he's talking about because this idea of separating soul and spirit is so odd, it's hard to even explain. I don't fully understand it all because the words in Greek are so close together, it's almost like they're synonyms. But yet here he says that the Bible, the Word of God, can cut us so deeply, it can, it can cut between the division of your soul and your spirit. Just making the point, it, it cuts so deeply to our very core. The other way he says it cuts is... Um, it cuts between the division of joint and bone marrow. That's really, really deep. The point he's making is the Bible works like a piercing sword on us. To the degree, it's as if it pierces down to the depths of your soul. It's, it's like it can pierce to not just your flesh through the muscles. No, it can go through the bone to the bone marrow. That's how deep the Bible can cut. He gets around to saying this. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I can't look at you and see your thoughts. Now, you may tell me your thoughts, but I can't see them. You can't see my thoughts. I can't look at you and judge the intentions of your heart. I don't have that ability. But here he says, the word of God does. It pierces us so deeply, it knows our secret thoughts. It knows what's in our heart that no one else can know about us. Just us. Those sort of secret thoughts we have, the things we're thinking about, well, the Word of God can cut to that level. Here's his point, though. When he says judging the thoughts and intentions of the heart, those are actually legal terms for a judge rendering a verdict in a case, a guilty or non-guilty verdict. Hence, the point I'm making, what's the first thing the Bible do? It judges us. Hebrews says the Word of God is able to cut us so deeply it knows our deepest thoughts and it renders a verdict on us. It judges us. It works on us is the point over time. As you're reading the Bible and you're letting it soak into your heart and mind, something's happening. 
It's working on you. The first way it's working on you, it's, it's honestly, to be blunt, it's judging you. It's cutting you deeply in your soul and even revealing to us this conviction of, oh man, the Bible's telling me to avoid this sin, but as I'm reading it, I'm kind of being worked on and coming under conviction that I'm doing the sin the Bible's saying avoid. Well, that's this sort of cutting to our very soul. See, the thing is, no one else may know about that sin that you're involved in. It's very secret to you. Or the thoughts you have that are wrong, they're very secret to you. But as you're reading Scripture, God's Word will work on you and reveal those things, bring them to your mind. It will know those things. Again, it's, it's a living thing here. It's not just a dead book. It convicts us very deeply. Now that sounds bad. You know, why would I want to read a book that judges me? Well, there's a good thing here. Because we don't want to go through life and live it wrong, do we? We don't want to stand before God and be condemned by Him, do we? We don't want to uh, get it wrong when it comes to us and God. Don't we want to do the right things that God wants us to do? Don't we want to stand before God one day and hear, well done, rather than, how dare you? Well, that's where the scriptures come in. The Bible functions like your personal judge. You read it, you pay attention to it, you pray over it, and as you do that, because it is living and it's active, it's doing something to you. It's working on your spirit. It's working on your thoughts and your emotions. It's revealing those secret things in, in my life and yours that we hide, and it sort of brings them to the forefront of our soul, and we realize, I have to deal with this. That's the Bible cutting us deeply for our good, though, because it's judging us so that we can repent of the sin and we can grow through that and get back on track and live more holy for the Lord, more faithfully for the Lord. God uses the Bible. He uses His Word to judge people, to reveal sin to us, to convict us of sin. It declares to us what is right and wrong, good from evil. I've seen uh, tattoos on people before that say something like, only God can judge me. And uh, years ago, uh, back at a job I had, I saw a lady with this, and we actually had a conversation about that. I said something like, you know what, you're right, only God can judge you. But here's the thing, God has already told us how he will judge us. So the question is, are we going to his word and letting it judge us so we can listen, learn, and be the people God wants us to be? Societies say things like, you know, hey, don't judge others. That's not right. That's not your place. The truth is, I have no right to judge someone else. In and of myself, as just an individual, there's a little bit of truth in that. I don't have the right to judge someone else. But, but, I'm supposed to take the truth of God's word, share that out to others, and let it judge and convict them. That's the difference. That's why we always want to be biblical as Christians. We want to share an opinion, sure, but I want to make sure my opinion is biblically saturated. I want my opinion to be a biblical opinion. So when you are debating something maybe about an issue in society, sure, have your opinion. Maybe even say to someone in love, you want to sort of help them understand that something they're doing is not right and it's going to harm them in their life. And they may say, hey, don't judge me. Well, I'm not judging you, but I'm going to show you what God's word says. And it does judge you because we want you to be the person God wants you to be. That's the first effect God's word has. We always want to be biblical. We always want to, in every part of our personal lives and as a church, we want to stand on God's word as a church too. structure every part of our ministries here according to God's word. Because if we don't, to be honest, it, now we've become a social club. 
No different than any other club people could join. But if we keep it biblical, now then we're on the right track. Your life lived according to the Bible may at times, though, I want to point this out to you, is you need to be prepared for something, though, if you're going to live according to the Bible. If you do it, if you live according to it, you try to follow its standards, its ways, you share its thoughts, you need to be prepared for something to happen. Remember, Hebrews said it's a double-edged sword. Not only does it cut us as we read it, it will cut others just by your example of trying to live a biblical life. You may have at times encountered resistance from other people who are not Christians. Maybe you haven't even really said anything, but just by how you live your life, trying to live it according to God's word, it will have an effect on people. They may be drawn to you and want to know, how do you live your life this way? I need to know your God, your Savior, or the other response. It will cut people. It will judge them. It will convict them. When Christians apply the Bible to our wicked culture, that's why you see groups out there in our culture that want to quiet the church. Because when we share the truth of God, not everybody's happy about that. It, it, it is a cutting double-edged sword. It cuts us and it cuts others. And I just want to stress to you, if you live your life according to the Scripture, just be prepared. Not everyone will be satisfied with that. Your example of even just living your life according to Scripture will have an impact on others. It may cut them deeply. But what's happening is you're not doing anything wrong. The Holy Spirit's working through you to convict them and to draw them to Christ. Hebrews 4.13 says, No creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him whom we must give account. God's Word, the Bible, leaves no shadow without light shining in it, no stone unturned. It exposes all creatures before the sight of God. The Bible teaches people that one day we will give an account before our Creator. The Bible judges us, but it's a good judge. We want this kind of judge. It's keeping us faithful to the Lord. It reveals our hidden thoughts, our hidden sins, convicts us of them so we can repent of them. That's why in my sermons or lessons we have, we just try to saturate it with the Bible. Because, again, I in and of myself have no power. To be blunt, I don't have the right to tell you this is what you should do in your life. But God's Word does. So we want to stand on that and use that as our authority, because it is the judge. The Holy Spirit works through the Bible, convicting and judging people, calling them to repent and be the people God wants them to be. It's interesting in verse 13 that I just read to you, there's a little bit of wordplay going on. He says, nothing is hidden from God's sight. And then he says this phrase that we'll have to give an account. Now, English Bibles say the word account usually. But literally, it is the same word used in verse 12 for word. The Word of God is living and active. Now in verse 13, we will one day stand before God and share a word with Him. But what he's meaning is, God shares His Word with us, it cuts us, it judges us, so we can be who we're supposed to be with Him. But then in return one day, Hebrews is saying, make no mistake about it, God's Word leaves no stone unturned, and we will stand before God and share a word too. And our word will be more of a sort of making a case for how we lived our life. And did we live it according to God's word? So the next thing the Bible does, the first one, it judges us. The second thing is the Bible evangelizes us. Now let me turn to 2 Timothy 3. Let's start in verse 14. Paul says, as for you, he's talking to Timothy. As for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned 
what you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Now, verse 15 is the key. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with something here. It says you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Now, sacred writings is just another phrase for the Holy Scriptures, the Word of God. So Paul says, okay, Timothy, you've been acquainted from your childhood with the Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's where I'm getting my point. The Scriptures evangelize us. This idea, Paul says, Timothy, from a child, you've been taught the Scriptures. And those Scriptures gave you the knowledge, the wisdom, the understanding to understand that through faith you need to believe in Jesus Christ and be saved from your sins. Evangelize is a word that means to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to share with people that they too can have salvation and forgiveness from their sins by believing in Jesus. Paul says here, Timothy learned from childhood the scriptures. Now in context, he means just the Old Testament. So from Genesis to Malachi, there's enough there, Paul says, that a person can still understand you need to place faith in the Messiah to be saved from your sins. And that's what Timothy was taught. When Jesus then appeared, it clicked, the rest of it clicked with him, and he knew, okay, he's the one then that that Old Testament was telling me about. He's here, he's died for sins and been raised again from the dead. Now he's the one I put my faith in, and I'm saved from sins. The Word of God gave Timothy this wisdom. So again, the Word of God evangelizes people. It shares the good news of Jesus Christ, how they can be saved from their sins. Without the Bible, we would not fully see the whole plan of God to save people from their sins. Now, don't get me wrong. People can hear the gospel and believe in Jesus without having a copy of God's word. That's true. But the Bible, the written word of God, tells you sort of the rest of the details, though, about how God actually carried out that plan of salvation, about how he got the Messiah here and all the other things. It's kind of like watching the movie trailer for the three minutes. You sort of get the gist of the movie. You maybe have enough there to understand a little bit of the plot, but that doesn't substitute for being able to go and watch the whole movie. You get the rest of the details. So you can understand enough about Christ without the Bible to someone just sharing that with you, and you can be saved. But Paul says, listen, though, the Scriptures, though, God's Word, what does it do? It evangelizes people. It shares all those details we need to know that we're sinners We need to be saved from our sins only through faith in Jesus Christ. So another point to this idea I want to share with you is maybe you've struggled at times with wondering, how would I share the gospel with someone? I don't even know what I would say. Where would I start? It's actually interesting. You can actually just use the scriptures to share the gospel with someone. You may have heard of something called the Romans Road. It's just five simple verses I don't know who invented it a long time ago, but someone found that in Romans, there's five scriptures go from start to finish. That's why they call it a road. You go from here to there. And if you follow just these five scriptures, you have literally shared the gospel just by using the Bible. Let me share it with you real quick. It starts with Romans 3.23. So let's just pretend here you've got this lost friend or family member and you say, I don't even know where I'd start, what I'd say. Memorize these five scriptures or mark them in a Bible and just share it with them. Save it on a notes app on your phone. And here's all you'd simply do is start here. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So just with those two, you've shared, hey, we're all sinners in need of saving. And now I'm sharing with you that God, though, didn't leave us in our sinful state. He loved us and sent Jesus to die for us. The third one, Romans 6.23, 
The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So now you're saying to them, just by sharing within the scriptures, hey, if we stay in our sin, sinful state, God will judge us and we'll face death, eternal death, separation from God. But God offers us something else, though, a free gift through Jesus Christ. It's eternal life. Then you go to the fourth one, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hey, if you repent and believe in Jesus, you're not condemned anymore of your sins. The final one, Romans 10, 9, kind of tells what they do. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You've just shared the gospel in five simple verses and you just let God's word do it. Five simple verses to explain to someone. You, uh, years ago, I found something. I used to work at Lifeway Christian Bookstores when they had stores. They don't anymore. You have to go online. But anyway, that's another story. So back when they had stores, I found this thing in there called Share Jesus Without Fear. And I bought it. And it was a wonderful program. It was a tiny little pocket Bible, a New Testament. And the guy in the book taught you how to go to certain verses like this and underline or highlight them. And the way he taught how to share the, the gospel was... You would carry that Bible in your pocket and just open that up and tell your friend where, where to turn to, open it to him, have him read it, and just ask him, hey, what do you think that verse is saying to you? And you walk them through this. So if you are nervous about sharing the gospel, just find the scriptures and say, hey, read it for yourself. Let's just talk about that. Another example of scripture you could share is the very famous one. Most people have heard of John 3.16. You could share with someone John 3.16-18. through 18. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, we usually stop there, but I argue we should read the next two verses as well, though. Because the first part's the good news. Hey, God loved you enough to send Jesus Christ to die for you, so that if you believe in him, you can have eternal life. But verse 17 says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So that's the good stuff, but we need to also finish with verse 18. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but notice this, whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Three simple verses there to sort of share. Hey, God loves you enough. He sent his Son to die for you, give you eternal life. But here's the thing. If you don't believe in him, you stand condemned already before God. But Timothy from childhood learned the word of God and it led to his salvation. I want to stress to us parents here today, this is what we must do for our children. Teach our kids the Word of God. We live it, we teach it to them, and what will happen is they see it, they'll pick up on it. God actually told Israel to do this when He gave them His Word. Deuteronomy 6, 6 says, These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So parents, if you want your kids to have a better chance of knowing Jesus, get them started in God's word. How can you? Well, they need to see it in us first, don't they? If we try to tell our kids, hey, Jesus is important, you need to be reading your Bible, and they never hear us talk about Jesus, they never see us in the Bible, how likely are they going to think it's important? Well, how can you do this, though? Well, it just simply starts with letting your kids actually witness you as the parent take value in God's Word. Do they actually just see you in it? Wouldn't it be great if your kids grew up and read their Bible all the time just because they saw mom and dad do it too when they were younger? 
God set up the family so that our children are most influenced by their parents. That's why I believe God was so strict with Israel. Hey, you teach it to your kids diligently. You write it everywhere. Write it on the walls of your house, the door of your house. Make it as if it's written on your forehead. Talk about it when you're sitting down to eat. That's how much God put on Israel to teach their kids. We as parents have to take the lead, though, and show by example to our kids that Jesus and God's word is important to us. Someone could ask, well, I don't even know what I would do. Well, it's simpler than we think sometimes. Just start by maybe having family time where you sit down as a family and just open up a Bible and read it for five minutes and just talk about it. No plan, no program, just opening up the scriptures, letting your kids getting used to it. On Wednesday nights, we take the kids through something called The Biggest Story. You can find thebiggeststory.com. It's got videos. You can buy a Bible, and it's not word-for-word scripture, but it kind of retells the stories through a kid-friendly version. Pretty good. Uh, Go to lifeway.com. They have a whole kids section there. You can find kids' Bibles, kids' Bible studies. There's all kinds of resources at our disposal that can guide us as parents just to start talking about scripture with our children. So the Bible judges us, it evangelizes us, the third thing it does, it equips us. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God, or given by inspiration, yours may say. That's what we talked about last week. Here's what I want to say for today. Let's look at the next part. He says it's profitable for something, meaning it does something useful. And he gives a list. It's profitable for teaching. Reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul says, okay, the Bible is profitable, useful for some things here. And I'm going to just summarize these under this heading. It equips us. So that's what the Bible really does. Um, He says some specifics here. It teaches us doctrine, what we actually need to believe and think. So the Bible sort of educates us in right thinking, right understanding, The next thing Paul says, the Bible then rebukes us of sin. That's this word reproof. So we're reading scripture and we're learning. We're learning what we need to know and believe. But we're also coming under conviction. We've been doing something and we read from Paul or Peter. Hey, that's a sin. Well, that's reproof and we're being rebuked. And the spirit sort of tugs at our heart and says, hey, you know that you're doing this thing here that the Bible says don't be doing. But the Bible doesn't leave us in the pits. Paul says the third thing, how it equips us, it corrects that wrong behavior or wrong thinking so it rebukes us and corrects us and then the bible equips us for every good work he says this phrase the man of god now he's talking about timothy a minister of god but i want you to know that applies to everyone man woman minister or not he's simply saying that if someone will let the bible equip them educate them correct their sinful thinking or actions and get back on the right track to doing the things they know they should do, the result will be you will be equipped to do whatever God has laid before you to do. You'll lack nothing to be prepared to serve the Lord. The Bible equips us through teaching us what to believe, rebuking us of our sin, correcting our wrong actions and beliefs, and the result is we are fully equipped and prepared to do whatever God would have us to do. I want to stress this point to you that I believe Paul is saying. You cannot be prepared to serve God if you are not in the Word of God. A person can't say, I'm ready to go and serve the Lord, and yet they have no habits, so to speak, of trying to be in God's Word and learn it. 
it would be like that athlete on a team that's like, hey, I'm, I'm ready to be the star athlete and contribute to the team and play in the game and do a good job, and they never show up to any practices. They never know how the rest of the team functions so they can be in sync with them. They don't practice in their own abilities, but yet they hope just by walking on the field and because they've dressed in the uniform, they're good to go. They're going to kind of wing it. And Paul would say, you can't do that with God. You have to be equipped. You have to be trained and prepared, and that's done through the Bible, God's Word. Let me read you the Baptist faith and message for our final point, and we'll close this out. It reads like this. It says, the Bible reveals the principles by which God judges us, therefore is and will remain to the end of the world. It's the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. So the Bible judges us. It's the center of the life of our church. It's what binds us together in unity. But notice that last phrase I read to you. It is the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. Tried means tested or compared to. So the final point of what the Bible does then is this. The Bible leads us. So what that statement is really getting at is we submit ourselves under the authority of the Bible. Not because it's a fancy book written by some smart people. That's not why at all. It's because the book is the word of God to us. So by submitting ourselves to the Bible, we're submitting ourselves to God's word as our authority. In our personal lives, we must do this. In our corporate life as a church, we do this too. Everything must be biblical in our lives and in our church. We let God lead us through the Bible. We don't go to a high council or another authoritative group to try to work things out. No, we go to the Bible for our answers. And it ends all debates on an issue. Something going on in your life and you wonder, should I do A or B? Well, the Bible might not tell you literally specifically what decision you should make, but I promise you it has principles, though, that if you follow them, it will guide you to make a decision. That's going to God's word and saying, I'll submit myself to its authority. Something in culture going on, you say, oh, I wonder if that's right or wrong. Does God's word have something to say about it? Then we submit ourselves to what it says about it rather than what society might say. As a church, you know, should we do A or B? We submit ourselves to the authority of the Bible to make those decisions. I like the example of the Bereans. Paul shared the gospel with them. But it says they didn't right away accept it. They wanted to study it first. They checked it out in the Bible. Acts 17.11 says these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness. But notice they examined the scriptures daily to see if the things Paul told them were so. That's just a quick example of how what it means to let the Bible lead you. They even heard from an apostle. And before they took it right away, they're like, hey, we're going to check that with the rest of scripture. And make sure this checks out. So in conclusion, let me say, what is the Bible? Well, we said the Bible's God's way of revealing himself to people and giving his truth for us to live by. But what does it do? Well, it judges us, it evangelizes us, and it equips us, and it leads us. That Baptist faith and message last sentence I love says, All scripture is a testimony to Christ who is himself the focus of divine revelation. Faith in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins and how to know him through faith and be forgiven by him. Uh, know you have a home in heaven. That is the focus of God's word. It's trying to share Christ with people. God ultimately gives us the Bible so we could know about Jesus. So we could through him know God personally and enter his presence one day. Do you know Jesus? 
can you say with confidence, I will stand before God. Yes, I was a sinner. I wasn't perfect, but I will be able to stand before God and enter his kingdom because I know I'm forgiven of my sins because I believed in his son having died for my sins. And he rose again, giving me eternal life. Do we go to the Bible, letting it work on us and have this effect? I pray that you do. or I pray that you will from now on. I'm going to close in prayer. Let Bruce and them come. And as I pray, my, my guide for you is let's just ask God to, even before we leave, work on our own hearts. Say, God, as I pray in this moment, will you reveal to me maybe ways I've slacked on appreciating the Bible, how I've ignored it, neglected it. But maybe, God, would you spark a fire in us so that we can be more passionate about it. Would you stand with me and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of the written word so that we don't just have to listen to people or try to know who's telling the truth or not. We can just go to your word. Lord, thank you that you chose to reveal yourself to us through that word. And I now ask that you, starting with me and everyone else here, that you will remind us, impress on us how we must be in the Bible to let it work on us, to constantly be preaching Christ to us, and we can be led by it and know how to serve you because it will equip us. And thank you for salvation that you offer us, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.